Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. Welcome to the Royal Academy of Art. My name is Gonzalo Herrero. I'm the Architecture Program Curator here at the RA. Today we are here to celebrate the International Women's Day, commemorating uh, the achievement and progress made by women all over the world and calling for gender equality. As part of the RA program in response to International Women's Day, we are delighted to be joined today uh, by one of the most talented and um, probably brave female architects in Spain, Itzhak Conchinchilla. I have to say that this is also like a great honor because Itzhak Kun was my teacher uh, on my first year at the architecture school. So it's a great pleasure and it's like we are to be introducing her today. Now let me introduce her, uh, her background. Itzhak Conchinchilla studied at the Escuela Técnica Superior de Arquitectura in Madrid. Uh, from where she graduated with honors in 2001. I think she was the first one graduating with honors in 10 years and 20 years history of the, of the school. At that moment, uh, I have to say that everyone in Spain was absolutely mesmerized uh, by her incredible and delicate representation skills. Uh, but at the same time, everybody was very skeptical that these drawings that were so beautiful uh, could be materialized at, at, at some point. Immediately after that, in 2001, Itzhakuna started her own practice, uh, where for the last 18 years, uh, she has developed a wide range of projects, including uh, installation, refurbishment, housing, uh, museography, and urban planning. Her largest uh, undertaking to date is probably the refurbishment of the García Muñoz Castle in Cuenca, Spain. A very complex project that started in 2003, like 14 years ago, and that successfully concluded last year. A project that not only demonstrates an understanding of the historic context and it has appreciation or an skill for working at simultaneous, uh, simultaneously at many different scales, but also that utopias can be built and are fully working. Aside of her practice, she is also senior teaching fellow and researcher at the Barlet School of Architecture at the UCL. And if that wasn't enough, uh, she's also a proud mother of one child. She presented a year ago her thesis uh, entitled Sustainability and Architecture, Revolution, Crisis, or Orthodoxy. Uh, today, Thaskun will be presenting some of her more recent projects, as well as her reflection uh, on the challenges running uh, her own uh, practice in a sector where women represent less than 25% and only 8% of them hold director, partner, or principal positions. Uh, the evening will start with a 40-minute lecture, approximately, some rush, by Thaskun, reflecting on her very prolific career. And we have uh, today here one of the uh, respondents, who is Carlos Jimenez, your partner in crime, like teaching at the, at the Barlet. Now, please, warm welcome to our speaker tonight, Ethel Conchinchilla. Okay. Um, thank you for coming. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be speaking here. It's a bit intimidating. Uh, my Spanish accent is coming with me everywhere I go, so <laughs> the good news is that always my students in London say that it reminds them of their holidays in Spain, so it's kind of uh, nice. <laughs> Hope the audience is feeling something similar and they are not blaming me of the horrible accent. <laughs> Um, Gonzalo has been making a very efficient introduction. Uh, it was like kind of cosmic that he told me the first, you are not going to believe it, the first event that I have to organize in the Royal Academy is your lecture. And it was like, come on. <laughs> it was like very, very cosmic. And to sum up a little bit the, the kind of activity that I combining uh, is based on three main activities. One is designing. Usually for these 15 to 16 years, we have been winning our work uh, through public competitions. Uh, in the last two or three years, we are starting to have private commissions uh, with different type of uh, clients and backgrounds. I will try to explain that. Uh, with this activity linked with design, we are developing a research activity that is not only uh, ad hoc with each project, but also having some long-term uh, questions that we are trying to develop further. Uh, specifically, we think that ecology is a whole revolution in architecture. It's not something that is just changing small things like solar panels or energetic issues, but it's radically uh, forcing us to change politically in a different way and socially. 
And beside this design and research uh, activity, I'm doing a lot of teaching uh, and public engagement and try to put these activities together in closed cycles so that we are bringing uh, the conclusions that we get from the design to the research, to the, to the um, laboratory that the classroom <coughs> is, uh, through connections that are not only draw, drawing, but also writing. Writing is very important for us. And also through private activity that we do in the office as a team that is working together. A lot of public activity for me. Being here is important, having a political role, being in the media, being in the university, and uh, exercising my citizenship in different countries of the world. Uh, that's why, for example, media is for us important in this moment. Uh, in order to reflect a little bit in our practice, also uh, related to, to gender issues, I didn't want it to start with numbers, although it's the most, let's say, meaningful way of doing it, because numbers are quite uh, dramatic, radical, and clear. At the moment, the women in the whole world are doing 66% of the whole work, two-thirds of the work, and they are just receiving as a payment the 10% of the total uh, money that is paid in the whole world, and they are only owning 1% of the properties in the whole world. So for doing 66% of the activity, we are only receiving uh, very few properties and very few money. In architecture, the numbers are radical. Uh, even uh, in the European context in which the amount of female students in the universities has been more than 50% since the 80s, is not something new. Uh, the amount of full professorship in places like France, the Netherlands, the UK is not an exception, and unfortunately Spanish is not an exception, is less than 5%. And uh, if we go to do look at the uh, individual offices and who are driving these offices, uh, the numbers are usually less than 17% of uh, driven by women offices. But I said I don't want to start only with these numbers because the numbers explain part of the thing. But many of the elements in this way, new way of practicing uh, has to be explained with not quantities, but qualitative issues. Uh, talking about, uh, let's say, deeper analytic questions. And also it's for me very important not to present uh, the situation of women in architecture like a problem, but like an opportunity. Because I'm very critical with the architectural system at the moment, so we have the opportunity not to belong to a system that is not working, but to create a new one and to change it. Uh, in that sense, uh, I'm going to present like three parts in the, in the um, uh, lecture in which I'm going to relate some gender uh, reflections with some projects in the office, trying to see how what is apparently something that is a disadvantage, like being a woman, can be changed and empowered and shift into uh, some, uh, an advantage or something that is potentially giving you new opportunities. Uh, in this first, um, sorry, in this first um, um, introduction, I uh, look at one experiment that was done recently by a mother and a, a daughter in a public library. They came to a children's uh, self uh, book, and uh, what they did it was removing from this self uh, the books that were not having male characters, and they were only removing three. Then they removed the books in there were not female characters, and it was 76. So you see that uh, from a start, when we are children, we are educated differently, and the kind of symbols that are around <laughs> us are different. Then they remove from this shelf, that is like a random shelf, <laughs> um, the books in, this, in which females are not speaking, and it goes to 141. Then they remove the books in which the women are not showing personal aspirations. Their role is being princesses, and usually they are, uh, uh, let's say, achieving 
general tasks that are not personal ones, and then that's what is left. Okay. Uh, uh, the problem is that uh, when we look at uh, TV and media, uh, women not representing having professional job uh, aspirations and careers in a 95%, whereas men are presented like committed people to their career in a 80%. Uh, therefore, the background of what we are, uh, of how we have been educated, is radically different. Uh, but the idea here is to try to see if there is an opportunity precisely for having been educated differently, not to appreciate that as a disadvantage, as I was saying, but as an opportunity for empowerment. In my case and in my experience, the opportunity of women is because they have not been educated at the, as the main character, they do not need to be the main character. And what is more, they don't need one single element, one single material, or one single feature to be the main element of the space. And that is kind of radically changing the conception of modern architecture, in which the technical elements uh, are in kind of the top position of a hierarchy, so that for modernity, the structure was more important than the communications, more important than the enclosures, more important than the uh, finishing and the details. There was like a pyramid in which the more technical aspect of the architecture were the most important. And if we compare this figure with the one that is the natural perception of a user, we can see that it's exactly the opposite. So a user usually uh, starts engaging the space with things like the one I have in this hand, with the screen, with the lighting, with many, uh, with the clock, obviously. And then only through these details, they go in depth with, uh, if they are reflective, uh, to appreciate the space, the enclosures, the materials. And probably the structure is even hidden out of this column for a, a user of this space. Probably the structure isn't relevant at all. So my proposition is that uh, if we try to, um, let's say, activate this education in which there are not main characters, we can go for a kind of perception of the space in which individual elements that are working more like an orchestra uh, can allow us to, co to have a, a closer pattern of perception between the user and the technicians. Um, we tried to explore that uh, conditions in projects uh, like the one we were uh, doing in New York. is uh, a pavilion that we built in 2015. Uh, it was uh, because we were winning the competition that is called uh, City of Dreams. Uh, this, is, this was based in a very small island, uh, five minutes away from uh, Manhattan. And uh, in this small island that is at the moment property of the army in the, in the US, uh, they are allowing cultural and public events to happen only three months in the summer because the rest of the time is a security place uh, in the country. And there is a collection of uh, NGOs and organizations that are claiming for public art to appear in the US, um, let's say, as a right for all citizens and not something associated to the economical level of the neighborhoods and the, and the councils. Uh, so we made this um, design uh, and this construction uh, using 120 uh, photographer tripods uh, out of uh, 550 bicycle wheels and around 350 umbrellas. Most of the material were recycled or were not passing the customs or uh, accessing the US because of the quality issues. Some products were coming from China. We were also using in the foundation um, car rims. And um, these recycled material are not having the classic modern um, structural hier uh, hierarchy uh, so that because they work um, in a very continuous way, uh, these soft materials that are usually not having a structural condition are able to resist the wind of the area that is almost uh, a hurricane every September. Um, the whole uh, of this uh, piece of architecture was put together by 45 volunteers that were not having any training in architecture previously. Some of them were studying architecture, but some others were not having any previous link. 
and we were not using any uh, equipment, uh, including scaffolds. We were just having ladders. Uh, so it was more than any other thing uh, to organize the connections between people, the connections uh, between materials. And in fact, that's the good news. We have not been educated to be the main character, and that can be a good point. Uh, this is the team that is behind this uh, project. The project itself is having a budget of $20,000. Uh, and is, this is the amount of people uh, without the volunteers that were organizing the campaign for getting the funding and many things. So it's probably because you can coordinate with this many people in three locations of the world and because they can feel satisfied about the work they're doing. Uh, that you get something done. Even things that, as Gonzalo was mentioning, uh, was thought for many people to be uh, quite impossible. Uh, this project was uh, a very interesting moment in, the, in our uh, uh, professional career as a, a practice because uh, it was the first time that we were getting the funding themselves. It was a Kickstarter campaign, crowdfunding, uh, so it was about convincing people to donate money for doing this. At the end, we got um, 472 backers uh, for $20,000, more or less 20, $40 per person, and most of them were designers. Um, so it was very interesting to see how people that are, in theory, in, let's say, the masculine kind of uh, paradigm will be your competitors, were in fact thinking that something in this um, uh, development will benefit them, will be like an amplification of uh, sometimes ecological thinking, sometimes sustainability, sometimes the practice were linked with uh, public participation, public engagement. Sometimes they were people that were Spanish and they were feeling it's good that the Spanish architecture is well known abroad. So these 472 people were thinking that there was something in the making of this uh, pavilion that was good for them. Uh, um, part of this is, uh, of course, the way you develop the project and the way you communicate. Uh, most of the time we are working a lot with prototyping uh, precisely because we try not to resemble uh, masterpieces. We do think that we have amazing architects in the past, uh, but most of the hypotheses that they were dealing with are not easy to apply at the moment. I was telling you from the very start that for me ecology has changed everything. And uh, therefore, uh, um, we cannot have like uh, a lot of assumptions of what is going to happen in the development of a project. So in this, for example, prototype it, uh, prototyping uh, process, uh, we develop it in a way that we focus in the gaining, in the win and win, that the volunteers were going to have. So we represent in this booklet uh, the process of the making of this pavilion, allowing people to understand what will be uh, the learning that they will have, how they will be in contact with AutoCAD and, uh, and computing programs, how they will be uh, in contact with laser cutting, CNC, and some digital fabrication tools, how they will be in contact with certain uh, tools. So it's again an activity that is about engaging and the, this is the, the main reasoning of the architecture we are doing. It's not uh, as it used to be in the past, the personal portfolio of the architect being developed as something that is, again, the main character, uh, but trying to get as many sensibilities as possible and to engage with as many subjectivities as possible and trying to show them how many things they can get in this process of uh, self-involvement um, and self-engagement. Uh, in terms of materiality, uh, we really like to invert a little bit this pyramid so that the kind of materiality that we are many times using is more balanced with the human body. Many of the elements that we are using, and you will see afterwards, are uh, less than 40 kilos. Uh, we work a lot with the idea that our architecture won't be useful in the same way that it is at the moment in 40 years' time. So having a plan B, allowing dismantling, is very important for us. 
and thinking into a cradle-to-cradle -cradle logic. So in this project, we are not only using recycled materials, but we are thinking the whole time on how to dismantle the building and how to use uh, these elements further uh, for other things. So it's very interesting how very small elements like uh, umbrellas and bicycle wheels that are not usually resistant enough to be part of a building uh, become resistant uh, precisely by the idea of continuity and how the capacity design that is focused in the work of the joints and a very accurate uh, structural calculation allow us to provide with a new capacity and upgrading the materiality of things that are contemporary, uh, let's say, uh, everyday life uh, objects. Uh, in fact, one of the other elements of this idea of not being the main character can be good is also to reflect on the idea that things can go wrong easily and that you can accept that as part of your background. And many times when we are looking at the structures that are difficult to calculate for engineers, uh, what we do is uh, what we call the failure mode strategy, that is we know it's going to fail. So we don't pretend things are not failing, but we have plan B. So for example, in these elements, because they were all recycled and we didn't know finally if they were going to be broken or not, we were doing uh, consistent, redundant joints and structures so that if they fail, there, there was an extra element uh, that can uh, work. And this flexibility of not having a main idea, not having a main structure, no having, uh, say, the main thing, the, the one and only, uh, also allow us to work with different economic and uh, budget and financial horizons and suggestions and hypotheses. So we were winning the competition partly because we were presenting propositions that cost $4,000, propositions that were costing $10,000, and a proposition that was costing $20,000. Because we knew that the budget was going to be crowdfunded, so it was crucial to show the flexibility of the design and how the DNA of the proposition uh, was this combination of elements creating uh, trees and domes uh, that can give a very uh, competent structural performance without defining just one shape or one uh, possibility in the shape. Um, I suppose many people uh, have read this book. If not, it's interesting. Uh, it's a very classic book, of course, as every gender study has been very criticized. Uh, but in a way, it's the first person that is looking to the difference between a female and male brain. And uh, she was getting some conclusions that is very relevant, that is the female brain is more plastic. The plasticity uh, is linked with the idea of the hormones in this theory, um, affecting the brain more effectively, more radically, and more constantly throughout the, uh, the life of a woman. So in this book, we find reasons why uh, women are remembering fights that men are never uh, remembering. Uh, why or how many times uh, men are thinking into sex. Uh, apparently, it's more or less every hour. For some people, probably it's every minute. Uh, whereas some other people in the world, 50%, more than 50%, are not having this rhythm. Uh, of course, uh, pregnancy and all these biological rhythms are different, and they are proof now to affect the brain activity. <coughs> And uh, uh, when you are older, uh, you keep the plasticity of your brain. So that's why most of the aspirations of getting divorced, troubling, are much more common in women. And uh, uh, well, emotions and, and many other things are different. Of course, this was, uh, has been criticized, and they say biological determination is not the whole of it. But we have seen that there is a cultural determination, there is a biology that is starting to be explored. You know that in most of the um, uh, laboratories, they are only using male animals. So most of the conclusions of the anatomy of the animals and the, and the, and the human beings has been studied only with male bodies. 
there is uh, only this tradition from the 80s in which we are trying to look at the anatomy of the women in particular. And uh, again, this plasticity is providing us with very good news. We are very good in dealing with patterns. Um, we can understand that we are part of something else and that we, what we are doing is kind of a small dot in a pattern that is bigger. Uh, in architecture, this is quite uh, crucial because uh, for many years, uh, people like Jane Jacobs has been saying, we cannot keep developing downtown, downtown areas in the US making competitions of how high a tower is of, or how technological. We need to look at the people that are around this tower and that are receiving the shadow or that are going to school every day in the surroundings or that are having a shop. Uh, in a way, uh, these diagrams are showing Wendell's very the theory uh, on the idea of solving for pattern, having the idea that we cannot solve problems, but we can deal with the pattern. We can change the connections with the, between the problems uh, and the pre-existence. Uh, so the, the suggestion of Wendelberry is that whenever we are acting and we are changing the environment, uh, we should be looking at a very, very wide agenda so that our designs should be looking at um, goals related to air quality, water quality, technology, sociological issues, uh, a good set of goals that are quite varied. And this hybridity of uh, the agenda items should be linked with a variety of materiality. Uh, Wendelberry, in his amazing essay, Solving for Pattern, proposed the idea that we are uh, working in the environment with things that are existing, that are based in existing networks that we are just completing, and with materiality that are uh, getting advantage of the biology, the geology, uh, and of course the artificial in different levels of uh, interaction with the environment. So um, this uh, belonging to a wider pattern is something we are especially prepared to, like women, uh, but not only that, I think uh, it has been uh, also developed by very many authors that uh, our capacity to understand the pre-existing conditions uh, is uh, wider. Um, in my 15 years, well, it's more than 15 at the moment, <laughs> teaching in different universities, it has been very astonishing for me how some students come and tell me, you know what, I have analyzed all the backhand spaces in London or Madrid, and I have found the perfect place for my building. There is a big hole that is called Trafalgar Square that is backhand, nothing is there, and I can put my thing there. And you say, mm, um, I don't think it's a vacant space. <laughs> it's a public space without a building, but probably precisely is, uh, because it's a square, you have to keep it. Uh, so this kind of misunderstanding of things being empty till I get there and I do my thing um, is something that has been a problem in the architectural system. And again, we are very qualified to change that. Uh, in that sense, appreciating that what we are doing is only half of the world, and I'm not only talking about refurbishment, which is probably the thing that you are going to be doing for the next uh, 40 years, because Europe is highly consolidated in terms of equipment, uh, but I'm also talking about um, being an architect that can tell to a client, you know what, you don't need this building. You can use this assistant thing, and you can do, you use this assistant thing so that we have better cities. So uh, I usually use this diagram saying we are only doing half of the thing. The other half is already there. You only have to discover where is it. And in fact, most of the things, good things that you can add to a building is understanding which are the values, advantages, identity that you can bring to a place. Um, in that sense, uh, we have recently changed our concept or our definition of the user as the main, let's say, uh, a, a social uh, entity that we have to deal with for the idea of the stakeholders uh, that are wider in definition. Uh, a, a user is the one that is using the building, but a stakeholder can be the neighbor uh, that is uh, living in front, can be the renter, can be the sponsor, can be the mayor of a city. 
Uh, so we have this uh, vision of the more you understand the values that are in a place, the more you enhance them, the more you are able to <coughs> promote them, uh, the more people are getting benefit from your architecture, the better the quality it is. It is a radical change and shift from the idea of spatial quality that is um, uh, addressed in most of the magazines and prices for architecture. So uh, the idea that uh, architecture is precisely about creating benefit for others, for third parties, and the more variety these third parties has and the more benefit they get, the better, um, put into crisis a very strong assumption that is architecture is a composition activity. Uh, for the idea, architecture is a social and engaging activity uh, in which you create common values that can be shared. Uh, for example, heritage architecture is creating identity, bringing not only tourists, but bringing a lot of investment, knowledge, and culture to cities like London. Uh, in that sense, we have, uh, have the amazing opportunity of developing this project that was as you were mentioning, Gonzalo, 14 years of our life. Carlos was also involved in a very important uh, process of uh, the definition of the project and the uh, site supervision. Um, I, I cannot describe the complexity of these kind of projects in which heritage uh, commissions need to look at the project in which we were passing through a very strong recession in Spain, so we have to, the, the contractor was bankrupt, uh, and many, many circumstances that are explaining why time is so important in architecture. Uh, but I wanted to, to look with you to these ideas of uh, being more able to recognize the pattern you are belonging to, and also understanding that you are just doing an intensification of the values that are already existing in the place, addressing stakeholders as a main, uh, let's say, uh, challenge or, uh, or, or task. Uh, in this building is a, a castle, as most of the heritage buildings in, in Europe is not coming from one precise period of history. In the um, uh, bottom part, we have Arab uh, rings that are coming from around the 12th century. Uh, the lower level is uh, from the 13th century, and from this line on, uh, you go to 15th to 16th uh, century. Um, in Spain, the law say uh, heritage building has to be kept forever by the government. And uh, the bad news is that we have 6,045 uh, buildings, uh, more than 3,000 castles in Spain, and only 400 of them are in good conditions. The rest are ruins. So basically the, mon the government is not having the money uh, to do what the law say, that is maintain the heritage, because we simply have too many, too much heritage. Uh, so what we decided was uh, to do an architecture that, first of all, could change in time because it's forever, that's too long. Uh, so we say maybe we need to change the uh, program that we are introducing at the moment, that is a media library. Uh, also, this means that it should be dismantled <coughs> or it should be possible to dismantle individual parts. And also we understood that the main goal of the new architecture was making accessible elements of this existing place uh, that were not accessible at all. So the architecture in this case is a kind of a collection of furniture elements in which we try to separate periods of history that have never lived together. It's only because we are excavating that we are putting this together. So this platform that is around one thousand square meters, is covering the Arab rings, separating them from the uh, medieval castle. It's composed of a layer of glass, you will see afterwards, and a metal grid, uh, introducing 42 uh, solar chimneys that are also show windows to show, um, and cabinets to show um, uh, expositions and three-dimensional objects. 
and that are combining this Mediterranean logic of the outdoor space uh, with sun umbrellas creating protected area for the rain and the sun in a, a weather that is having a 330 sunny days per year. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so it's the logic that is architecture is something between furniture and infrastructure. It's fully dismantable. And uh, the architectural new elements are allowing you to separate and distinguish periods of history. For example, these bigger windows that you have here comes from a period in which the, the castle was um, uh, losing a, a war against the Catholic uh, kings that were very important. So uh, the defensive structure on the top was dismantled. So it became a palace and not a castle anymore. Uh, so it's, it's very important for us to, to, to recognize this idea of the pattern. In this level, we are in, uh, underneath the, the platform, and it's the Arab rings, and these are the solar chimneys. And what we were trying to look at uh, in this, with this very precise detailing that is fully reversible, you see how everything is a screw, everything is uh, long so that you can dismantle the joints, uh, we were trying to recreate uh, the Arab citadel uh, without the reconstruction uh, systems that are usually introduced in architecture against archaeological criteria. <coughs> in fact, if you look at the chapters of archaeology, there are three main elements. The first one is in the 30s, Benin's chapter, in which they say uh, refurbishment should be sustainable economically. A Florence chapter in the 60s saying uh, <coughs> it's not good to introduce um, reconstruction, but we need to deal with the visitors' imagination and to allow them to recreate the space. And then uh, Lausanne in, in the 90s, in which they were proposing additional information like museographical um, elements um, helping the visitors to <coughs> interpret the space. So what we were trying to do is these very light columns, only six centimeters, uh, very close to each other, uh, create this kind of cage in which you can re-understand the proportion of the uh, previous spaces. Connecting these uh, Arab rims with the top level through these uh, solar chimneys. Uh, so that this reversibility has been addressed in, in, in this bigger pattern in, in different ways. For example, this is a staircase that is composed of elements put together and stuck in a post without any welding, a screw, joint, or glue, so that dismantling is just a question of taking off uh, the pieces. Well, this is a lot of screwing uh, details in which you see how the reversibility introduced uh, this new texture. Uh, in fact, if you remember this idea of the uh, existing architecture uh, being complete, only half of it uh, with the new one, you can see how this new architecture uh, is allowing you to read the proportion of the existing uh, Arab rooms, but also coloring the different programs so that the solar light are creating this kind of effect. Uh, so that without rebuilding things, we can introduce information that is useful for the user. So that in this uh, lower part, you see how uh, the rooms are easy to understand and the natural light is coloring uh, the different uses. This is a quite challenging project in terms of a structural um, development. In Spain, we are uh, trained as civil engineers. I also have an amazing pattern that is one of the most wonderful structural engineers in the world. <laughs> uh, so these kind of decisions that are just micropiling and put these still uh, elements so that they are screw, allow you to dismantle, and screwing, taking these bins out and cutting the, the, the steel elements, uh, only leaving in the place this micropiling that is 15 uh, diameters. And this logic has been uh, taken to all the, the elements, also introducing accessibility, um, understanding, again, the pattern. For example, they, we were asked for a library, and we did this grand strand structure. We count uh, the associations that were around in the area, 
and most of these associations were having 40 members. So we made this space uh, that is allowing all the associations to meet in this room. And this idea for the pattern come back here with this cover and this terrace that is made of manhole uh, elements. Uh, each one donated by a village around the castle that has have an historical historical relationship with the castle, so that they are orientated in this direction and you can explore the historical relationship that has uh, been in the in the area and also you can understand the species that you have in the place uh, looking at at the these samples that are here. Sorry, because this picture is not very good, but I decided to, to put it because it's the more updated information that I have. This is coming from Catalonian government. You know that Catalonian is uh, planning to uh, disengage from Spain at the moment, and they are doing a lot of work, very interesting one, in understanding how society is working in Catalonia at the moment. And this has been done by the Architect Association. It's only two weeks ago that they were, um, uh, I was receiving this, and uh, they have been, sorry, uh, making some interviews to more or less 80% of the Catalonian architects, and they have come with this statistic at the moment uh, in this area of Spain that is probably the most developed open to Europe uh, area, uh, the amount of women that are in charge as partners of the, of the practices is uh, 28 is men are still 71, and this is not changing. I mean, <laughs> this is quite stabilized, uh, because if you look, in fact, many of the owners are quite young, so it's not a question that we are, uh, let's say, having the heritage from the past. Uh, and this is very, very, very meaningful, because uh, it shows the difference between men and women in different areas of the architectural practice. All this is a majority of men, which is including design, site supervision, refurbishment, uh, like most of the things. And only in these two small elements, women are a majority, is uh, drawing, is draftment, draft women, and uh, graphic design at the moment. Uh, this is uh, putting into crisis this common optimism that we all have that is, things are changing. They will be better in 20 years' time. It's not true. <laughs> things do not change spontaneously. Uh, the amount of women that has been part of the architectural uh, profession in the, from the 80s is more than 56%. And this is only showing something that is very, very, very constant and resilient. That is, whenever something new appears, uh, women go there and it looks like it's going to be a great female field of development. Computing has been that case. Clean energies has been that, that uh, case. When this is starting to be, the new activities are starting to be prestige, it's starting to deal with money, and it's starting to deal with awards, public presence, and power, then women are removed, kindly removed, we can say. <laughs> uh, that has happened with cooking, that has happened with uh, many different activities. Uh, so it's only in the activities that are not having a special prestige in which we are a majority. So the dynamicity of society create this idea of evolving in a, let's say, good direction or better direction, but it's not entirely true. Uh, in fact, uh, again, there is not only looking at numbers, but looking at uh, qualitative issues. There is this syndrome that is called the impostor syndrome. It was discovered in the 70s. And it is linked with the idea that most of very qualified women that are successful in their careers feel they are not deserving this success. In fact, if you look at the um, uh, people presenting uh, uh, carries for jobs, most of men are presenting uh, the, their candidate uh, if they are satisfying 60% of the curriculum um, requirements, whereas w women are only presenting then as a candidate when they satisfy 100%. Uh, so we usually feel, because we have had this education of the books and the culture telling us you are not going to be the main character, you are not going to have a public role, uh, when we finally find ourselves in front of an audience, we say, 
maybe I'm not saying something relevant. Uh, this is happening in architectural schools, in the crits, in the presentations, uh, and usually all the studies that are interviewing women, they are feeling unsatisfied with their public performance. Of course, this is having something to do with uh, this column. I don't have to explain uh, masculine uh, values in which you have been educating uh, brave, proud, enter uh, enterprising, strong, fast, firm, determined, maker, public, hero, individual, violent, aggressive, a little bit, uh, discipline, whereas this is the feminine column, calm, modest, mediating, sensitive, <coughs> patient, delicate, dubious, facilitator, private, virgin, uh, responsible for others, caring and erotic. Uh, the first feminism was about becoming men. You have the right to become a man. I'm not especially interested in becoming a man. Uh, again, it's a very kind invitation in which I, not, I don't want to go in. So what we are building now together and uh, let's say uh, doing a lot of even mafia, I hope, uh, we are building a, the right to practice as a woman. That is changing the rules. I don't want to accept the previous rules. I don't like the architectural market. How is it framed at the moment? Uh, and the good news, I think these qualities are great for getting commissions. You are brave, you are fast, you are super convincing, you, are, you look like a very uh, decision maker, uh, fast person, but these are the right qualities to develop commissions. You have to be calm, you have to mediate, you have to be delicate, you have to be empath, uh, you have to have empathy, uh, you have to care on how things are happening. So good news, we are very prepared. We have been receiving the right education. But this is radically changing how we deal with image in architecture. Uh, in fact, I think uh, the image in architecture is usually linked with that. Fast image that can win the competition, uh, that goes fast into the style of the commission, that is recognizable, that is easy to, to have in the memory. So it's about uh, form, shape, style, space, volumes. Uh, and this is like the front part of the carpet in a competition, but what is behind, what is underneath? Uh, is the political pattern that you are creating. When you are doing the image of a building only considering the compos composition of volumes, you don't realize that you might be um, benefited one kind of society, people of certain age, people of certain background, that you are not taking into account the urban area, that you are not taking into account the, con the contest, that you are uh, establishing a hierarchy between the private users and the public ones. So there is a political model that is behind any architecture, even the ones that are not presenting themselves like, like this. Uh, so what we are trying to develop at the office is the capacity of image, not only uh, aesthetics uh, in terms of shape, but also image in a wider definition, also for example, the graphic and the communication <laughs> of the architecture, as again an engaging activity. It's not about the style of the office, it's not about our personal uh, aesthetic portfolio, but it's about how other people can engage with architecture through the image of architecture. So in that sense, uh, um, I'm going to go quite fast because uh, I don't want to, to uh, occupy much more time. Um, through works that we have done with in partnership or a sponsor or hire, with companies that were having a quite developed branding identity, and in which this branding identity uh, was part of the commission. So they told us, we have these values that are already set up in our philosophy, and we want this new intervention, this event, this architecture, to be part of these uh, values. So what we are basically doing is uh, using architectural image to communicate other people's values. Usually, we are very happy because uh, the clients that come to us is the clients that are sharing values with ourselves. So we are happy with our clients. So this is, for example, the uh, fair, the VIP room in an art fair in Madrid uh, last February. 
And the partner was El Corte Inglés, that is like uh, Harrods in, in, in London, is less uh, glamour, <laughs> less charming, uh, but is very powerful uh, in Spain. And they wanted to tell that they are, the products could uh, be for any kind of social background. So it was very democratic for families, for people that are, uh, let's say, young couples for many people. Uh, so if you see, we were uh, trying to fragment uh, furniture elements so that instead of showing one element, we were showing many elements. Instead of showing one table, we were doing these tables with chopping uh, chairs. Uh, of course, they wanted to uh, position the brand as a link with environmental policy and social responsible policy, so we were using a lot of uh, recycled materials, especially window frames and leathers. And they wanted to, uh, it was their 80 anniversary, and they wanted to tell uh, Spain is what it is at the moment, because El Cortingles has developed with Spanish culture. So they wanted to deal with the memories of people, and we decided to deal with uh, travel memories, trying to make uh, a homage to all these spaces in Europe that are outdoor uh, eating spaces, and we were trying to uh, look at Greece, look at the most average traveling uh, memories that the people in Spain are having at the moment. Uh, one other example, working for Gbine, is a French gin brand, is quite women <laughs> target, uh, because it's the only one made from grape, and uh, the set of values that they were trying to promote is, um, is the brand is about botanic uh, investigation and research. Uh, they are a fundamentally urban brand. They are linked with cosmopolitan cities. And uh, the French culture should be part of it and the balance between this urban brand with nature. So we were asked to, define, to design something like a a surrealist or a strange apartment in which nature was appearing in a funny way uh, with some research on the these grass dots that are uh, that were is, was, were taking a whole research to, to see how we could introduce this grass uh, grass in here this is a piece that we developed for Arzac that is a very uh, important innovative uh, chef in the north north of Spain and uh, they were telling us um, tooling, like the tools that you use when you are cooking, uh, are very important. And we want to show uh, the visitors how the process of cooking uh, happens. So we were creating these uh, movable elements in which there are two windows. One is for the cooker, so that he has, he or she, they have more than 50% of women working in the kitchen. Uh, they have all the tools uh, very close to the hands, yeah. Uh, and uh, the visitors uh, can also see the tools, uh, even test the spoon uh, things. And these are just the, the new projects that we are developing, some new projects that we are developing. A pharmacy in which the, um, the women that is running the pharmacy wanted to uh, make a special uh, welcoming space linked with uh, flower <coughs> shops. So we were researching a lot on flower shops and how they are arranged. Um, a restaurant in a very beautiful garden in Madrid uh, that is about celebrating events. So we were trying to catch the sunset uh, effect in the internal uh, space uh, with these kind of elements. And uh, as you see, it's always like a, a agenda of the uh, client that we are trying to transform into public uh, values. And this is for Kaisa in Barcelona, uh, that we are developing a coffee shop that is uh, addressed like a market. So all the elements are like marketplaces, and uh, you can cook directly your food. And, and this is what they call This is for IKEA that we are developing at the moment, a launch for them. And again, it's about novelty, how they introduce a very varied catalog. So again, it's a question of engaging. So thank you so much. And
Thank you very much, Itaskun. It was impressive, as usual. We can start with some questions from a couple of our guests. We have here Carlos Jimenez, like we said, uh, your partner in crime at the school and in many other projects, and also some Griffith. So I'm going to put you in that difficult context of starting, like breaking the ice. <laughs> in fact, you know that I used to be quite polite, and if there were no questions in the audience, I was fine. But now I'm frankly rude. And uh, if I don't have questions, I force people to ask questions. I usually start with the ones wearing a green jumper. So anyone wearing a green jumper? <laughs> start the, I, I don't know why it's a very stupid uh, strategy, but uh, it's, people know that I'm doing that, and they try to avoid not wearing green jumpers. <laughs> Well, um, hello everybody. Uh, well, for me, uh, it has been a fantastic experience to be here, part of the panel or part of the, the, the group uh, discovering your architecture and discovering your thoughts and how you are establishing links with the world in which you are living now, uh, which is absolutely fascinating. It's exactly as uh, sharing my time with you at the university or in the studio. Uh, but um, obviously, my question is very aware because uh, you know I, I know you for ages, and and uh, I've uh, um, totally uh, been fascinated by your evolution um, mm -hmm. since I know you. Then I think that it was in 2001 when I uh, was your student as well. Something similar to what uh, uh, Gonzalo has experienced in the past. And and I would like to know, uh, Ithaskun, uh, during these mm, I don't know 17, 16 years of experience, and uh, there has been many moments of your life and that somehow has uh, making a, an influence and impact in your in your professional career and I would like to know if you can uh, point out some of them that has really affected because as we have discovered men probably uh, the, in, in order to uh, to define our professional career we might um, establish the the um, level of, of success by the power that we gain. But uh, from a woman perspective, which has been uh, the moment that has influenced your life and that are make you uh, becoming the architect that you are? Yeah, starting from more recent uh, events, motherhood, obviously. I try to present, uh, I, I have been very critical with this idea of, uh, because Sejima and Saha Hadi were the, were the two uh, female architects that were winning Pritzker uh, till very <laughs> two weeks ago, and they were not mothers, they were not having any children, there has been this assumption, also for other reasons, of course, that uh, you have to choose between your professional career and, and motherhood because uh, architecture is not compatible with any other thing. Of course, if you are a little bit reflective, you say, come on, I know this guy, he's drinking a lot of alcohol, he's going out every night, and he's not the most focused person, and he's kind of successful. So it might happen that it's compatible with some other elements, and it might happen that motherhood is kind of more a constructive activity than going out at night, for example, for sometimes people. I'm not saying it's a bad activity, but... Uh, it can be less reflective, definitely. So for me, motherhood has been amazing because, uh, I mean, some of the things are th things that people already know. It changes your priority. You learn to say no. Uh, you are more clear about what you want. Uh, but for me, it has been the discover of a new vision of society. I think when you are not a modern uh, and you are having the kind of lives that architects are many times having, your social circle is quite curated. You are in touch with other architects working in the same practice or in the same environment with a similar background to the one you have. You have friends from the university, and if they are not architects, they are artists or they are musicians or they are in theater, they are compatible with you. Most of the people are open-minded. Uh, probably Brexit wouldn't have happened if the architects were the only one voting, I hope so. <laughs> And uh, all these things. But then you have a, a son, and you take him to school, and then you have new friends, and you have not chosen the background at all. I'm taking my child to a public school, so there is no, uh, let's say, uh, we are not going to a very cultural advanced uh, uh, school. And then you discover people that are doing, that are not having anything in common, but the most important thing of your life. 
So you're starting to discover one other vision of society. And in fact, I think motherhood and, and fatherhood, if, if men will take them in that way, is the most powerful uh, connection with society that you can have and the most powerful connection with uh, how you update your background. Uh, yesterday, my son, that is five years old, asked me for a red guitar and a golden uh, bomber jacket. Uh, he was desperately needing uh, the two elements <laughs> uh, because he was planning to be in guitar lessons and he told me, come on, if I go to guitar lessons with our golden jacket, <laughs> it's going to be like baby stuff and they are going to put me in all these uh, like rhythms, uh, like baby rhythms. If I go with a golden jacket, it's going to be rock and roll. And <laughs> Let's be serious, I'm not going to lose my time these five years. So you go like, what? And you see like the link they have with breakdance and, and, and I don't know, it's like, and suddenly you say, I, and I discovered yesterday that bom golden bomber jackets are totally in fashion. And I was not realizing that and my five-year-old was realizing. So they are updated. I mean, he told me yesterday also, eh, mom, we really need, uh, you really need to change your, a phone for an, uh, the one with the Apple <laughs> because there is plenty of apps that I'm interested in and they are only for Apple and I say okay <laughs> so uh, and I, I honestly I'm not realizing it that much I mean it's like uh, he is the one so I think motherhood is a great way of connecting with society and for me it has been a wonderful professional platform to understand my work much better. Most of the things that I have been able to do I uh, have been done after being a mother and now I have a lot more of job uh, that I used to have. So it's a good uh, message. And then uh, some other elements. Uh, I think clients are changing you a lot uh, and also mistakes. For example, I have had the experience, recent experience, most of the I was not showing, for example, a co-working space that was ended in July and now it's September. No, it was ended in September, now it's February, and they are already refurbishing the space. Uh, we are working then and we see how everything that we think is going to work in one way is working absolutely differently for people. And realizing this kind of background of feedback, having clients that are with you more in one, more than one project and receiving feedback is super, for me, super enriching. And then uh, teaching uh, is making you change your mind, absolutely, because any uh, hypothesis that you have, you receive a different feedback. And then my education, that was amazing. I was having amazing teachers. And well, thank you for a fabulous lecture. I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, the moment I really liked was when the triangle turned upside down and the detail went to the top, which is something I uh, very much agree with. And there's a very uh, powerful intimacy to your work. Mm. So my question would be, what if someone gives you a really big building to do, which I'm sure they will at some point, do you want it? And, and how might you approach that, given that that's... Uh, if you like, part of the, the the other end of the triangle to the to the one you want to be at. Yeah, I think it's a super good question because uh, for a certain uh, period of of my life, I have been thinking that it was quite probable that I was not going to be able to build anything. It was more than eight years, definitely, and I was. Uh, um, at the moment, I think we have like 25 second prizes, second awards in the in the office. So we, there was a moment in which we put we have like 16 very continuous, <coughs> and it was like psychologically it was like uh, very stressing. Like every time I was uh, having the phone and saying, "You have the second prize," we're like, oh, "No, please, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> not again." Um, this has made me reflect a lot uh, on uh, maybe I'm doing it on purpose. There is an unconscious <laughs> uh, willing of not really building the thing. And then when they say, no, no, come on, this is serious. I'm going to do it. And, and you manage and, and everything. But I have uh, questioned a, a lot uh, to myself. For example, if I receive a very commercial commission, uh, what will happen? And I think for me, the answer is a little bit on how 
architecture that is already inhabited uh, can be understood. For example, uh, when you are an architect uh, and think about very popular architects at the moment, Aries Mateus, Kazuyo Sejima, most of the stress is in the tooling of the project. Uh, you say, okay, the diagrams, the models, it's how you do the project. When you look at that and you think, how am I going to do a lot, a big commission with details for people? It's impossible because the tooling, it's impossible. I cannot do one to 10 model of every corner. It's impossible. But when you go to a building that has been inhabited for 100 years, this is happening. It's big, it's structural, and it's full of details, and it's full of life, and nobody has to curate every single corner. <laughs> so I think the question is not starting with the uh, architectural tooling, like not starting with how I'm going to save money, how I'm going to save time, how I'm going, but really trying to get this <coughs> texture that reality is already having trying to photomontage, trying to understand how people are actually living. And then you have a lot of information that you don't need to curate and that you can use and that you can appropriate. So for me, it's a little bit about, uh, I, I work a lot with a sociologist, Emilio Luque and Fabian Muniesa, and we talk a lot about what they call post-occupancy occupancy, uh, philosophy, that is, architecture is more interesting after 50 years of inhabitation than when it's brand new. And I think this is inspiring you in a different way, and you realize it's not so, I mean, uh, when people say decoration is a uh, uh, crime, <laughs> uh, you say, come on, first of all, nothing is purely decorative and nothing is purely technical, and second, you are not going to avoid people decorating your architecture ever. I mean, it's an anthropological uh, feature. So let's just appropriate that capacity of people to do something. So what I would probably do if I have a very good big commission for an amazing tower is going to visit amazing towers and collaging things that I have seen there. And it will be easy, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> uh, I would like to thank you for being part of this uh, International Women's Day program. Um, thank you, everyone. We have another event uh, uh, in response to the Russian Revolution show uh, with Daria Paramonova uh, giving a lecture next Monday. Uh, there are still a few tickets available. Uh, also, I would like to thank to the Drew Hines uh, Endowment for Architecture for making possible the architecture program at the Royal Academy and to Tarkis Ceramics for being our lead sponsor for 2017. And now, please, uh, thank you uh, and big. <laughs> Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.